from wallstack.ca. Welcome to the Financial Wellness Podcast Series, where we discuss all kinds of financial principles, concepts, and products. Our aim is to make money matters simple again. What do you think about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency? Have you been fooled to buy it? Or have you been avoiding it because you have been fooled? I'm Vincent Hayes, and in the studio today, I have a very good friend of mine, Ian DeLange. Ian is the Chief Investment Officer of Seed Investments and manages five mutual funds. Ian reads widely and has a deep knowledge of the financial markets. In this show, we will unpack the main workings of Bitcoin, the reasons why people invest in it, what is backing Bitcoin, and is there an investment case for it? Welcome, Ian. It's great to have you on the show. Great, Vincent. Excellent. Good to be with you. Thank you. So let's just dive straight into it um, in terms of Bitcoin and how that differs from other cryptocurrencies. What is, what is the main differences there for us? The, the, the first thing to note is obviously that Bitcoin was and is the original blockchain that was invented all the way back in 2009. Everything else has come in on the back of, of, of Bitcoin, um, so-called alternative coins, and there's obviously a range of them. Uh, there are definitely differences. I can't say I, I, I know the ins and outs of all the differences, but there's some major differences that are obviously, you know, apparent. Some of the differences are, the big one is, is decentralization. Bitcoin is definitely a lot more decentralized, and that's a key component. All other uh, alternative coins, including Ethereum, are, are decentralized, but not as decentralized as, as Bitcoin. So let's just quickly go through this uh, the working of it. You know, why does it take so long or such a lot of effort to, to mine these Bitcoins and, and how does it being added to the blockchain? The miners are essentially rewarded and the reward is an allocation of newly minted Bitcoin that is the reward for actually putting in the, 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 the cost. Uh, the cost is largely obviously the infrastructure cost and, and, and the bulk of that cost is the operating cost, is the electricity cost. The reward for that is the newly minted Bitcoin. So as soon as a particular miner discovers the particular hash that meets the requirements, they will um, collate that block and get uh, awarded with the currently 6.25 newly minted um, Bitcoin. Just give me a sense again, there's a limitation in terms of the, the number of Bitcoins coming to the market. Mm, mm. And, and how are we sure that uh, the 21 doesn't become 25 and then mm. next year 28? Yes, I mean, I mean this is a key component um, and absolutely a key attribute of Bitcoin is obviously the so-called uh, scarcity factor. And uh, 21 is the absolute number, 21 million uh, Bitcoins. These, the award started at 50 and every four years is halved. It's not exactly every four years. I think it's 210,000 blocks. Every 210,000 blocks or so, the reward is halved down. So, you know, 50 becomes 25, goes all the way down to 6.25 currently. Your key question there, yes, is how do we know that this ca- cannot be changed? Well, as we know, this is, first of all, it's open source code. It ca- anything can be changed. But the, the big issue is the run on a consensus basis. 
And so anyone is free at any time to go and change the algorithm, to go and change the code, print down their version of it, start their own version, change the numbers, and, and so move on. The problem, though, is that they are going to be the only ones running their code and no one is going to actually join them. No one is incentivized. Uh, and so that consensus of the participants is so critical to the whole running of, of, of Bitcoin. There's a strong alignment of incentives, which keeps the thing um, very, in fact, highly, 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 highly unlikely to actually be amended. Ian, what happened in 2017? Maybe just give us a view of, you know, exactly to that consensus and people wanted to change something and then it went south a little bit. Yeah, so in 2017, they had what was called the block size wars. They had a sort of camp who wanted to increase the size of the blocks, be able to put more transactions through the system. And then you had the, the camp that said, no, we will remain as is. It's, it's, it's sufficiently designed as is. There was a, f- a hard fork, which meant that a fork veered off, took the, took the protocol, amended it to increase the block size. And out of that sprung Bitcoin Cash. And then there's even been f- a further fork, I think, to Satoshi Vision or whatever. But clearly, the market ultimately decided who was the winner, and, 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 and that has just come down and down and down and down in price uh, relative to the original uh, Bitcoin. So it, it just goes to show that, yes, the, 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 the protocol can be amended, but unless, unless you've got uh, the majority of participants moving along with that, effectively it's a vote of no confidence. And the participants, being the, the, the miners and the nodes, voted uh, not only with their feet, but effectively voted with their wallets and said, you know, we're not going to go. We're not going to, you know, we don't really see value in this. Obviously, a few people did see value, but the vast majority didn't. And so this is what happens. And so I think going forward, we're not going to, well, it's not impossible, but it's unlikely that you're going to have this type of splitting out again. And so that is the main difference why we talk about Bitcoin as opposed to cryptocurrencies, because all the other cryptocurrencies may use components or very similar kind of technology in terms of Great. blockchain. Yes. But with Bitcoin, that is that sense of consensus will keep it at that 21 million coins, whereas the other cryptocurrencies are set up differently. And there's maybe not that backing of the limitation of the coins that's been issued. I think it's, I think that's fair to say it's it's a big it's 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 a big difference. Um, I think the other issue is most of these other alternative coins, some of them have sort of split personality in a way, in that they're not necessarily trying uh, to be the sort of monetary type of network, but um, in the case of something like Ethereum, which is which has definitely stood the test of time, it's actually you know trying to be more of a distributed computing system, as it were as opposed to just a pure distribution of a network and only doing one thing and one thing only, and that's the ability to move value from one participant to another participant. So the Ethereum network, that's one of the major differences. It might not, as I said earlier, it might not be as decentralized, but it's actually trying to achieve something different, and that's actually um, not necessarily a hard coding of the the cap of, of 21 million units. Um, or whatever the number is, more trying to look at being a distributed world computer. 
So also if we just look at Bitcoin versus some of the other stable currencies, may obviously issue an unlimited number of coins because it's backed by a dollar or a yen or whatever the, the currency is or any other stable kind of fiat currency behind it. And so that's the difference between a stable coin and, and Bitcoin again. Uh, Bitcoin is backed by consensus of developers, effectively open source developers that that look at the code and and give their consensus. Whereas where some of the stable currencies are obviously then more backed by the currency, but there could be an unlimited number of coins being issued. Is that fair to say? I think I think that is fair to say. Um, there is definitely a, does appear to be a use case for these so-called stable coins, such as Tether whereby they are yeah, presumably backed by currency, but they, they effectively then work as a digital token that given the rails of the sort of blockchain, blockchain technology, it's a lot easier to move these around the world as opposed to the traditional fiat system using the sort of legacy banking system. And so there's definitely been a huge uptick in demand for stablecoins such as Tether especially from emerging markets where, you know, uh, a lot of individuals are keen to get out of their, whatever their currency, uh, in emerging markets where there's, there's obviously a lot of uh, concern given the, the stability of those currencies and into the dollar. And it's a lot easier to move into, let's say, the tether, which then tracks the dollar one for one on a, on a like-for-like basis. As to the backing of, of that, well, I think this is clearly, you know, what's of concern to governments around the world, especially the US government now. And, 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 and so that's is, you know, it's definitely something that's valid, I believe. They need to look at this and try and understand this. There must be a level of distrust in the market or distrust in financial system why people find a new way of, of trading. You know, I thought about the old days of, you know, I give you a goat and you give me milk kind of thing. And then people obviously went to gold and coins and, mm. and what we have today. You know, it, it just kind of feel that... You know, the financial system changed the last 50 years more than the f- previous centuries. Look, I mean, I, I think that's, that's absolutely correct. And, and obviously, you know, we, we, we're in this new digital age when um, there's so much uh, that is getting effectively digitized and from an analog world to a digital world. And so in many ways, sort of uh, your store of value or the means of transferring value one to another was done more on an analog basis and now it's moving pretty rapidly in many ways to a digital environment and and and, and in many ways we've sort of had this digital environment but it's, i think it's run on the rails of, of of legacy let's say banking system many people haven't really seen necessarily maybe a need to actually upgrade but you know along came the sort of digitization so to speak of value especially with with bitcoin and then and then all these other you know, there's been so much adoption, I think, on top of that. But it's still relatively early days in so many ways. So many people are trying to trying to grapple with this. Obviously, um, you know, is, is it a proper store of value? Is there something there? Mm. Clearly, the intangibility of it concerns so many people. Uh, because when you think of value, we think of something more tangible, so to speak, even if it's a, a share certificate, but there's something tangible behind it. Behind. There's, there's a company, it's people, it's, it's making proper goods, it's you know, something that's purely intangible is very difficult for so many people to wrap their head around. Bitcoin, effectively, what has been achieved has been digital scarcity. 
Because with digital, as we know, you know, you can make unlimited copies of your email. You can take a photo, you can make unlimited unlimited versions of, of, of your photo. You know, what's the original and what's the copy? I mean, it's exactly one-for-one one replication. But the methodology that was actually actually achieved what so many people had been working on for such a long period of time, trying to figure out how do we how do we, do we achieve in a digital world this scarcity? So let's just quickly talk about the history of transacting. And we don't have to go that far back. You know, we, we had the gold standard till, when was that, 1971. All the currencies issued was backed by gold. And then we broke away from, from gold. And that was a big shift, you know, moving away from something stable behind a currency Correct. into what is known into a fiat currency now. No, that's right. So I think I think over many 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 uh, decades and centuries, I mean, I think the gold came to obviously represent uh, good money in so many ways, uh, durability, even a degree of portability because it's 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 pretty dense. And, and and the biggest factor was scarcity. So the scarcity factor, the world settled pretty much um, on gold in so many ways, and it did. First of all, obviously, gold coins were used, and then eventually. A paper currency on on the on the top of gold as the base layer, but slowly I think as we saw um, that got unwound. Bretton Woods was obviously post the Second World War. The idea was okay, we'll have the dollar as the standard, but the dollar is back to gold, and then everything was basically set to the dollar. But essentially, you had the backing, and as you say, that went all the way to 1971, and effectively Nixon had no real choice but to take the dollar off the gold standard um, because the US was getting their store of gold was getting depleted. The French were effectively saying, give us our gold, here's your paper money, we want the physical gold and so he had no choice but to say, okay, that's it. No more convertibility of our dollars uh, into gold. And so I think from that period of time, which is 50 years now, we have had effectively free, free floating a paper fiat money system, which has got no real backing. It's by and large, I think it's worked okay, but but there's definitely a lot of cracks in, in the in the system. Yeah, so and in many ways, um, whoever founded Bitcoin, and obviously no one knows. You know, was it one person? Was it a was it a bunch of people? Who knows? Many people have been trying to work on on a concept of a so-called maybe people's money, type, some type of currency that 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 could be so-called produced. Digitally, you know, effectively, I suppose, outside of the government system. And that's it's obviously a concern. Where and how does the government step in? But what we have now, for anyone to really step in, uh, do you believe, because of the decentralized nature of it, it's such a huge component. Uh, it's not like this, you know, it's not like there's a head office, there's a CEO of this, there's no one. Um, so this is just a protocol that's obviously just running across a bunch of decentralized computers. Yeah, and I think that's important just for everyone just to kind of get your heads around that one is that the dollar before 1971 was backed by gold. The dollar or any currency really now is backed by a promise from government to be able to to take that currency and convert it into goods. And Bitcoin is really backed by a consensus of open source developers that agree to the playing field. It's a bit like um, playing playing chess, mm. that everyone agrees to the way that chess will be played. Now, you can say 
uh, as a single developer that you want to have more pawns on the on the on the chess game. Mm. And you can set it out, but the chances of everyone agree to you is very slim. And so that's the way that um, a good analogy in terms of how uh, algorithms and the code behind Bitcoin is protected by consensus of open source developers, the backing of the number of Bitcoins issued. And obviously, mm. that has a direct impact on the pricing of Bitcoin, which is uh, not the case with the other, well, most of the other mm. 1,200 cryptocurrencies out there. And that's probably the main difference. Let's quickly talk about investment case. Uh, mm. You know, we, if we talk about risk versus return, buying gold, buying bonds, uh, or buying Bitcoin, what is the risk that we take for each of those three? And what is the potential return? I mean, it's an important question, obviously, and we've, we've tried to think about it a lot, uh, but it's an ongoing process. Obviously, certain asset classes, as it were, are available, and Bitcoin is not necessarily that accessible. I do, and we sort of do view it more akin to something like gold in its physical format compared to Bitcoin. It, they do share a number of attributes from, from a sort of investment perspective, and I think the biggest one is limited availability, i.e. the scarcity factor. Uh, the second attribute that sort of comes into it from an investment perspective is it's not easy to produce. So, you know, with most sort of commodities out there, you know, you increase the price, the price goes up, and suddenly there's a huge incentive to go and mine more. And there's availability, you know, whether it be iron ore, copper, coal, whatever the case may be. That's not the case with gold. No matter, you know, if the price doubles, it's not that easy to just go and pull more out of the ground. It's very, very difficult. It's not the same as coal or, or iron or copper iron ore. And that's exactly the same with uh, Bitcoin as well. So the price can double or treble Bitcoin even more so because of the difficulty adjustment means that actually, irrespective of the price, it's price inelastic. No more can be produced. There's an algorithm which decides this is how many will be produced, no matter how much computing power you throw at it. So that's, that's, that there's this high degree of correlation with gold in that respect. The other, the other attribute that is commonality to, let's say, gold is the fact that it's a non-yielding asset. So unlike your property, commercial property, or your residential property that you rent out, or the company that throws off dividends, or let's say your government bond where you're lending to the government and it's throwing back an interest, there's zero yield. So it's a zero yielding asset, exactly the same as gold. You know, gold in its physical format is zero yielding. You know, you buy, you buy the gold. In fact, with gold, I mean, you've got to pay money just, just to store the gold. So in that respect, um, very similar, I think many people, you know, and that's why it's sort of viewed as digital gold. It's, 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 it shares so many attributes from an investment perspective. And that, and that makes it difficult to think about uh, for investors. It's, an, it's, it's a whole lot easier to have a, a yielding asset. You can discount the future cash flows and say, this is the value of my asset. I can see the, you know, I can discount future values. Uh, to a present value and actually produce a, a reasonable value of what it should be trading at. If we talk about asset allocation and uh, investors do want to include Bitcoin into their portfolio, I think currently we see Bitcoin as a component of the alternative asset class within a portfolio. So that just means private equity, private debt, commodities, gold. And then I guess Bitcoin could also come into that area if someone wants to include Bitcoin into their portfolio, 
Ian, what do you think is a good uh, and cautious allocation to Bitcoin? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's different ways you can, you know, you can look at it from an asset allocation perspective. You know, clearly believe the sort of uh, investment case and say, okay, well, there's merit in this in this asset class uh, in and by itself. With history over the last 10 years, uh, you know, ever since it started getting priced, I mean, it's been a, it's been a, a exceptionally volatile asset in terms of pricing, pricing in dollar terms, but that volatility has paid off in terms of the returns it's generated. So if you if you assume those numbers, or if you even assume half of that, uh, I think there's a there's a use case to be to be included as part of the asset allocation. Uh, I think that volatility does scare off. Obviously, it's a it's a huge factor which scares off uh, investors in terms of including it. I mean, I I would think you know at a total portfolio level, one percent would be a should be a relatively easy allocation to include, irrespective almost of the risk profile. I think of the investor. So that would be like maybe like two and a half percent of that sort of alternative category, as you're saying. You know, if you bucket mm-hmm. your, your sort of forty percent uh, alternative category, you know, maybe it's two and a half percent of that category. You know, at a one percent portfolio level, you know, the, the asset could go to zero, and you know, your portfolio is really not going to be impacted. Mm-hmm. But it could start, you know, if left, if, you know, and you don't have to look at rebalancing. But I mean, if left, it, you know, it could double and double again before perhaps you need to start trimming it back at a portfolio level. Well, great, thanks, Ian. Uh, that was that's great insight. I think I think just um, just this one thing, you know, that often people think about investing in binary terms. Often, when I speak to clients, it's either want to go full out for something, mm. or completely ignore something. Mm. I think this is a you know this is good insight just to understand what is backing the different uh, cryptocurrencies uh, and especially Bitcoin and whether it makes sense for them. And if it makes sense, it doesn't mean that you have to go aggressively into something, but rather just know that it, it uh, potentially forms a, a portion, a small portion of the overall picture, because as we know, as Ian said, the volatility is there. So with anything, you do want to spread it. You want to spread your counters over, mm. you know, the portfolio of different counters, reduce um, the allocation, but it can form part of a portfolio and be wise in terms of using that as part of your portfolio. I think you know investing is not about um, a binary. It is it is about probabilities. You know you need to look at every asset class in a range in a range of probabilities, and it's exactly the same with Bitcoin. You know, so there's there's a percentage chance that the thing goes to zero. Okay, well you assign that percentage chance, and and when you look at it in those terms, and then you can actually you know tone down your the concern that you have uh, about the volatility in terms of your position sizing in the portfolio, and it, 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 it sort of matches with, with those sort of probabilities. Good. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you. Thanks for the insight. I'm sure that all the listeners would also enjoy it. Awesome. Thank you. All the best. Hey, thank you so much for listening to our podcast today. You can find our content on wallstack.ca or on LinkedIn. I'm Vincent Hayes, and you've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast Series.